0: There's something that happens to a person when they begin to understand they have a God-given purpose in life. Now, I can remember as a college student how lost and confused I felt until I discovered God's purpose for my life. I mean, I was trying to figure it out on my own. I was trying to figure out what I would do with my life. And and I knew there were two things that were going to be really, really important. First of all, I wanted to make a lot of money. Number two, and then second, or number one, and number two, uh, I want to do something that would make me happy. Money and happiness. But I had this nagging question in the back of my mind, why am I here? Is that all there is to it, just to be happy and make money? I mean, is there something more? And maybe you've asked yourself that question as well. Or maybe you've just lost your job and you're wondering, what's next? Or maybe you're ready to change jobs because your present work just doesn't work for you. Maybe the last child is about ready to leave the nest and you're asking, is there gonna be life after children? (laughs) Or maybe you've just retired and you're thinking, what's next? Uh, I remember when uh, Susan and Chip Mahaney moved here from Virginia about 10 years ago. Uh, Susan had worked in the uh, television industry as a producer And had won like three Emmys. And it wasn't long uh, before she arrived, uh, after she arrived here, that she saw a need in the contemporary service, contemporary worship services, to bring some order out of our chaos. And so she uh, began to look at a way she could volunteer to help make that possible, how she could coordinate our services and coordinate all of our volunteers. And when I found out she was interested, I I called her up to talk with her and and how this might work. And and in less than a week, Susan had already stepped into her new role as producer using gifts and skills that she had learned in the marketplace. And the position grew, and and it changed until today. She serves as a paid director of communications, and she leads our worship design team that plans all four of our worship services. Susan had discovered God's calling upon her life for this season of her life. And maybe there's been times you've asked yourself the same kind of question. What is God's purpose for my life? Why am I here? Is there something more? Well, our scripture today is, is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And... It's a scripture that has really guided my entire ministry. Even before I I began full-time ministry, I I took this verse as that which was going to guide the rest of my ministry. It's in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 11. So Christ gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, Paul wrote this, we think, from the city of Rome about 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. And in this letter to the Ephesians, he writes about the person of Christ, and then he writes about the church, which we learned last week, he refers to the church as what? Do you remember the metaphor he used for the people of God? The body of Christ, exactly. And that Christ himself was the head. In chapter 4, he writes about how the church is to operate. And he begins in verse 1 by this simple statement. He says, I urge you, he's talking to all of us, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So the first thing we learn is that each and every one of us here has a calling. I love the way the message translates that. It says, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road that God has called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. You ever gone down one of those dead-end roads? Sure, we all have. What road has God called you to travel, do you know? And are you on that road? When I was first called to be a pastor, I did not want to heed that call. I had other plans, and it didn't include running a church. And I went down several dead ends. Very frustrating until I finally heeded the call. Now, don't misunderstand. By calling, I don't mean that everybody is supposed to go into full-time ministry or become some kind of, of missionary in some kind of foreign land. Now, the truth is that we're all missionaries. I mean, the moment you're baptized, you're, you're signed up. You're a missionary. And so it might be a, a missionary to your children at home might be as a missionary to your your classmates. might be as a missionary to your neighbors. It might be a a, a missionary to all those uh, pagan people you work with. Just kidding. Well, some of them kind of act like it, don't they? Your calling might be to be a a parent, a small group leader. It might be a, a mentor to our youth. The possibilities are endless. And as you begin to follow your God-given calling, Paul encourages us to do it in a way that is worthy of the name Christian. It's called character, and he spells that out in in verse 2. He says, be humble, gentle, patient, bear with one another in love, and keeping unity in the bond of peace. He talks about unity a lot in in this chapter. Unity is really important in any organization, but especially in... In the church, And if you've ever been in a church where there, where there wasn't unity, if you've ever been in a, in a business or someplace where everybody's going on, off in different directions, you know how chaotic it can be. Very detrimental. And so Paul wants to make sure that the church understands this, this need for unity. And so he says, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who's the father of us all. And then he tells us the purpose. He tells us in verse 13, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the reason is that Paul wants this spiritual maturity. He wants you and I to to live a growing, mature, Christ-like life. And then he goes on to say how this is supposed to happen. He says it's through the gifts of the Spirit. He begins with five gifts that are foundational for leadership in the church. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Now, while most of us are familiar, familiar in the church with the last three, the first two, apostle and prophet, are not as familiar or as common as they should be. But they are still gifts for the church today. Man, we need prophets. We need some apostles in the church as much as they did in the first century church. You know, a lot of times we think of the original 12 apostles as the only apostles. But we also find in the New Testament that that Paul and Barnabas, a guy named Andronicus, and a woman named Junia are all named as apostles. And I believe there are apostles and there are prophets still today. And then Paul tells us the purpose of these roles in verse 12. He says, to equip his people for works of service. Works of service. Now, other Bibles translate that ministry. It doesn't matter. Service and ministry are the same word. And so the job of the leaders in the church is not to do the ministry, but to equip you, the saints, for all of the ministry. In the New Testament, there's no distinction between clergy and laity like we have today. They were all seen as, as one in the, in the early church. Every believer was and is expected to do the work of ministry with the goal, Paul says, the body of Christ may be built up. But there are more than just five gifts. And we find them also in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. If you're not familiar, you should go back and read those passages later on this afternoon. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And so you can't say, well, Pastor, I don't have any gifts. God skipped over me when he was passing them out. No. The gifts of the Spirit are given by Christ, and every person in the body of Christ has at least one and probably more. Now, you may not know know what your gift is. Uh, You may not be using your spiritual gift, but you have one or more. So, Pastor, what is a spiritual gift? Well, quite simply, it's an ability given to you by the Holy Spirit. We all have natural talents, right? You know what your natural talents are, or you're learning what they are. This is a supernatural gift, talent. The Greek word is charismata, which means a gift of grace. That's where we get our word charismatic from. And I want you to notice uh, what Paul says. He says they are given for the common good. So the, the gifts of the Spirit are not just given so that you and I can benefit from them. They're for other people. It's for the whole church. It's for the community. Now occasionally I hear people say, you know, I just come, I just want to be fed at church. I just come to be fed. Now, I understand what's being said. People want to grow deeper in their relationship with God. That's a good thing. But folks, one of the best ways for you to grow is by using your gifts to help others, to serve others. And what you'll discover as as you begin to pour into others, serving them, you'll discover God begins begins to use you in brand new ways. And in the process of that, you'll begin to grow deeper in your spiritual life. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says this. He says, For we are God's handiwork, listen, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you and I are are created. We are hardwired to serve this world with meaningful work because that is the way that God designed us. And not only are we created to do good works, but there is a sense here in which it is our destiny, Paul writes, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As you read these words, it's like each of us has this special purpose, this unique job here on earth to do that God has designed us to do. Now, sometimes it takes a while for us to find that purpose. Sometimes we have to try several different things until we find the right thing. But Ephesians 2 stands as this vivid reminder that there is more to the Christian life than just hanging around until we die and go to heaven. There's a lot more to the Christian life than that. You see, through faith in, though, though faith in Christ is important, faith in, in Christ is important, that's the beginning of the Christian life. We have to remember that you and I, that we are called to a a life in which faith is demonstrated, lived out by what we do for others. Now, sometimes we pastors, we think that we can do it all ourselves. But here's what I've discovered is that sometimes pastors, we get in the way. We just need to get out of the way, let you discover where you're gifted, how God wants to use you, and then let you go and do it. We all need to be using our gifts. We all need to be using the talents that that God has given us. We are all called. We're all redeemed. We're all gifted to make the wonderful light of God known in this dark world. Uh, Peter writes in in his uh, first letter, uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. And I find that churches that that are significantly impacting their communities are doing exactly this. And so everybody benefits from it. You benefit because as you use your gift, you are fulfilling, you are being fulfilled by by being used by God. And the church benefits because we're starting to become a real team and, and the community begins to benefit because they start seeing the love of God lived out by the church. So maybe you're thinking, okay great. Where do I serve? How do I discover this? Do I, do I start right here at the church? Well, maybe. Maybe you serve here in the church, but, but maybe not. In, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and, and, and John are on their way to the temple for a prayer service, and a man who's been lame from birth is, is sitting there beside the road, and, and he's asking for alms from, from the religious folks, and he, he sees Peter and John, and so he looks at them, and he says, you know, he, he asked for some financial help, and, and Peter replied, I don't have any money. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. But what I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he gives him a hand, and he helps the man up, and he walks. And the man gets a little bit excited. The Bible says he begins jumping around. He hasn't jumped ever in his life so he's jumping around and he's and he's praising God he's giving thanks and this little revival begins to break out and and all the community folks are all coming to see what in the world has just happened so where do Peter and John do their good deed it's where they encounter it it's not any special place it's where they run into it. it's where they see the need where they encounter it where goodness needs to be done Peter and John do good where they see the need. And maybe it made them late for the prayer service. I don't know. Maybe it was inconvenient for them to stop and talk to this man. But here's the point. When you go home, do good in your home. And when you're out in your neighborhood, do good to your neighbors. And when you go to work tomorrow morning, don't take a nasty pill and start yelling at your coworkers. Do good to them. They need it. When you you go to a restaurant, do good to those people who are serving you. The where is wherever you are. You don't need to go out looking for some place. Do it where you are. I think one of the greatest things about the Christian life is this mystical, guiding, prompting, whispering power of the Holy Spirit who, who said to Peter and John that day as they looked at that lame man, he said to them, this one, this one here, This man has faith to be healed. This is your good work that I'm going to use you for today. I'm going to use you, Peter and John, to change this man's life. We're the same way. Throughout the course of your day, the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you on how to do the good he wants you to do. You can't do good to everybody. That would be absolutely overwhelming. We simply need to be listening and then ready to respond when the Holy Spirit guides us. Think about this. God is so good, and one of his delights is to do good to you. God created this magnificent world that we live in with oceans and mountains and beaches and and hills and, and valleys and rivers, and then he created you and me. He created human beings with the ability to enjoy this marvelous creation, but if you read Genesis 3, you find out that this world got messed up pretty quickly in the Garden of Eden. And sin became a reality. And so God sent what was most precious to him, his son. And by dying on the cross, he solved the sin problem for you and me once and for all. And now you and I, we can receive the gift of salvation at no cost to us. And so Ephesians verse, chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift from God. And when this happens, God begins to fill us with his goodness, and he begins to use us to spread that same goodness to his world. That's why Mother Teresa used to say, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. The good that he wants to do, God does it through us. Several years ago, my wife and I were meeting friends in Columbus at a restaurant, and in walked Rick and Terry, um, some friends of ours that we've had for years. And the hostess sat, there, sat them at a table right beside us, and so we began a conversation. You see, Rick used to run an a, a, a atomic reactor, a small atomic reactor, I, I guess they can have small ones, right, <laughs> for Ohio State University. Uh, but he had recently retired, and, but he said, you know what? He said, Master Mark, I haven't retired from my church work. You see, uh, Rick and Terry, um, they spend once a month on Sunday afternoons in the kitchen of their church preparing a meal for 200 men at Faith Mission in inner city Columbus. And then they fill their car full of that food and they drive into the, to the worst part of, of, of Columbus and they spend the night serving these men. Rick and Terry have been serving uh, the poor and sharing the love of Jesus for as long as I have known them. And you know what? You couldn't pay them to do this. They do it because they believe they are called by Christ to do it. They believe that they can make a difference in the world and they believe that all significant changes in the world start slowly in a single time and in a single place with a single action. Every one of us, every man and every woman and every child can stand up and commit themselves to creating a better world. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, How does God's love abide in us, in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? He says, Little children, let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth, in action. You see, it's that love that compels us to wanna serve. We demonstrate God's love by serving the needs of others, whether it's spiritual or emotional, relational or physical. Jesus said that even if you give a cup of cold water to somebody, that you're making a difference, that it's an act of service. And we do it because God has been so good to us that we wanna make a difference in the lives of others. And we don't do it out of duty. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it uh, out of fear. We do it out of joy and gratitude and love. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. We serve because we want to, because God has called us to, because love compels us. And I would say that if you can't give, if you can't serve other people without being cheerful about, don't do it because you're not making any difference with them and you're not making any difference with yourself. So how do we get started? Well, we've made it really, really easy for you. All you have to do is go outside these doors to the Connection Center and pick a serve opportunity on the, on the Red Tower. I would really encourage you, when you go out to serve, do it with a friend or do it with a neighbor or do it with a family member. You want to learn more about spiritual gifts? You want, to help, you want some help discovering yours? See Pam Schwartz in our office. That's what she does. She helps people discover their gifting. I think sometimes the best way is just to jump in and and try some things. Get your feet wet. They may not all work out, but that's okay. I've learned much more about myself through my failures than I have through my successes. Many times I've tried something and I've discovered, nope, that's not my gift. That's not my strength. That's not my ability. That's okay. Church is a place to come and get equipped and then try some things out in a safe environment. But here's what I don't want you to do. Nothing. My friends, you will not grow in your faith by doing nothing. And I think there comes a point in time when you take all the sermons that you've heard and all the Bible studies that you have done and you start to use them to make a difference. I don't think you can just come and sit and watch anymore. I think it's time to get off of our hands and start making a difference. I want to finish up with a, a story that's found in Acts chapter 9. There's a Christian woman. Her name is Dorcas. And she suddenly died from an illness. But verse 36 says this about her. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Now wouldn't you like to have that said about you when you're gone from this earth. And they hear that Peter is nearby in a nearby town, and so they call for him, and he comes. Dorcas's body has been laid out on a bed in an upper story of a home. And all of this woman's friends, they are there and they're weeping and they're crying. And they're showing Peter all the things, all the good things she did when she was alive and and the clothing that she had hand stitched. And it was just a great testimony to the marvelous life that this woman had lived. Now, you think that'd be the end of the story, but it's not. Peter gets down on his knees and he says, Dorcas get up, and she does, (laughs) and the Bible ends by, or the the scripture ends by saying, many people believed in the Lord, yeah, I bet they did, nothing like seeing a dead person rise from the dead, help that faith, but here's my point, let's be a Dorcas, folks, you have a place in this world where you can make a difference, Discover what God wants you to do, and then do it. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, we're through with us sitting on our hands. God, we're ready to discover where and what you've called us to do, and we're ready to do it. God, it's kind of frightening, too, and scary. But by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us, O God, with all the gifts that we need to do it. God, set us free to make a difference in this world. We pray in Christ's name, amen.